HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. This episode is brought to you by Friends of Firefighters, serving the FDNY community since 2001. Learn more at friendsoffirefighters.com. This week on Meet and 3, we're examining the true cost of convenience when it comes to when, where, and how we eat. Dark stores enable workers to eat without any kind of thought to how they're getting their food or how it might have come to be. DoorDash, Uber, and Lyft in the past have pledged to spend $90 million to try to exempt themselves from the law. I could be wrong, uh, but I... I think there's going to be significant regulatory pushback on driverless trucks. Tune in to Meet in 3, HRN's weekly food news roundup, wherever you listen to podcasts. Hey, hey, welcome to Beer Sessions Radio on the Heritage Radio Network. Hey guys, it's October 8th, 2019. This is a special cider episode with some special guests. My good buddies are in the room and we're all going to introduce ourselves and talk about some certain uh, cider topics tonight. Hey, I'm uh, Ron from Spoken Spice Cider in Middletown, Connecticut. Great to have you on, Ron. Uh, Gidon Cole from Original Sin Cider. Tyler Graham of King's Highway Fine Cider. I'm William Mullen and I'm... Palm Queen. You're a great photographer. Paige Flory, Boutique Wine Spirits and Cider in Fishkill. So we have quite a show tonight. Um, back in June, we did, we did a cider show with Andy Briner and his uh, uncultivated book. And someone wrote it and said, I love this week's cider show. However, I would like every cider maker to be asked one question. Do you grow your own apples, source them, or use juice that you've bought? And um, leading up to the show, I know Gideon was really instrumental in putting the show together. He wanted to talk a little bit more about uh, orchards in New York State and single varieties of, of cider apples. So let's get going. So first up, William, um, you, you're a photographer. Tell yes. us what Palm Queen is because you, you're taking great pictures of apples, but we're going to talk specifically about a few of those apples today. Uh, yeah, well, Palm Queen is a, a name that I thought of for an Instagram handle that came to me on a run that just kind of I thought was funny, so I just... Previously, it was just my name, but uh, specifically, um, I did a book last year called Odd Apples with a friend of mine uh, named Andrea uh, Trabuco Campos, who's a designer. And the project is basically 
photographing um, any apple that could be deemed odd. So that could be anything outside of that you'd see in a normal supermarket setting. So russeting, odd shapes, different colored flesh, just anything strange and out of the ordinary. Um, and so the project is really capturing those apples in a way that really evokes their essence. Um, so beyond just like kind of a simple white seamless background photo and something that's really kind of exciting and beautiful to look at i, I like it and we've we featured it on on our instagram too so thank you and then Paige, tell us about you your background to, to us you're like one of the top retailers of cider in uh, new york state as a little shop yeah we have we have a little shop in fishkill new york um in the hudson valley <clears throat> we have about 165 ciders in cans and bottles and another 13 on tap for growler fills so Quite a bit of cider from around the world, uh, New York and and beyond. Yeah, the last time we did a cider show with with you, Tyler, in the spring, you made a point of inviting Paige, and she called in. What, why did you uh, Why did you invite Paige? Because she's a great talker and she's a cider expert. Um, so I've been living upstate for almost three years now, and um, you know I lived in the city when cider was taking off and everything. And I think of Page as kind of like the gateway to the Hudson Valley. You stop there and you can kind of get a, a taste of what's going on north and she can um, point you in a lot of different directions. She actually calls it like, what is it, the Cider Beltway or something? Because there's three ciders along 84 right next to where she is. And um, yeah, I think if you're interested in cider, it's apple picking season. Like it is the best place to stop on your way up north. So, Paige, you started in the industry. Tell us your backstory, because I'm really interested in, in your story. Uh, my backstory is I used to be a wine rep down in uh, New York City. And uh, then when I moved up to the Hudson Valley back in 2000, I was very frustrated that I couldn't find ciders. Uh, it was 2000. I figured I moved up into apple country, and so where's all the ciders? And I went to a number of shops, and nobody could tell me about any ciders that they did have, and their selection was limited. So after a few years of that, I thought to myself, well, I might be able to do this a little bit more effectively, and I can't be the only person looking for ciders. So that's how Boutique Wine Spirits and Ciders was born. And Guidon, so one impetus for this show is you wanted to talk more about orchards and, and single varietal apples. So tell uh, us, so your, your background is, you know, you had this great brand, Original Sin Cider, and originally you, you were not an orchard-based cider. Yeah. Um, listen, I started at a time when cider was in the infancy. There, there are over a thousand cideries today in the U.S. But uh, parallel to the growth in cider, it's been a renaissance with apples as well. Currently, 12 apples represent 88% of, of what is consumed in this country. The average American has had six varieties of apples in a lifetime, but there are over 7,500 varieties. And these apples come in all shapes and sizes, and it's that different diversity and flavor profile which really lends itself to making interesting, unique cider, and adds incredible depth to not only cider making, but culinary activities, we'll see later on, as well as, you know, in every, every which way. So it's really a fascinating category, which I fortunately have learned along the way through travels through New England. Um, so let's, let's talk about some uh, apple variety, varieties of varietals. Uh, varieties of apples, you know. I would say varieties. Let's talk about of a couple that each of you. So, so Ron in Connecticut, okay, and you guys. What are pick one each that you apples. like to work with? Uh, you know, that you've worked with uh, interesting apples for us. We the average apple has about twelve bricks of sugar. We grow a number of apples in our orchard, which are uh, bordering on twenty-one bricks of sugar, including one that Tyler we worked say with. What uh, that is? Yeah, uh, uh, in ABV. Yeah, <laughs> uh, 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 
uh, Wixen is an example of an apple, which Tyler made a single, an amazing single varietal uh, from. Actually, apples from our orchard. Um, another apple, it, it equiv- and equivalent that ferments about, out to um, eleven and a half. Yeah, about eleven and a half percent. Another apple is actually a really interesting apple that we brought here called the Pitmaston pineapple, which is an apple that was once very popular in England, uh, which is an apple that has uh, flavor profiles of a pineapple in them. We grow apples that taste like pears. We grow apples that really don't even taste like apples at all. It's like the diversity is really quite incredible. So you, you went on a mission. I mean, before you, you were yeah. making cider, selling around the country. So so how many different uh, cider varieties um, are you growing? Yeah, I think like everyone in this room, I mean, uh, and especially Will, like I've had the opportunity to uh, uh, go to certain events in uh, or visit certain orchards in this country, which has really influenced me. What I know Will's been to twice in the last week or so is the USD Orchard in Geneva, New York, which has 2,500 varieties. It's the largest, largest genetic repository in the world. Um, and I had the opportunity to work those, work those rows. My family had an old dairy farm near where Tyler has his orchard, his uh, cidery. And I took the, part of that land eight years ago. And the intent is to grow a, curf- a carefully curated orchard of unique apples with very interesting profiles, potentially historically significant, as well as important cider apples within the realm of just within a couple acres. Well, um, tell us about you went to a cider camp in Maine. Uh, yeah, uh, it's the Maine Apple Camp. Uh, I was invited to speak um, with another guy named Sean Turley, who has an account called The Righteous Russet, and he also does a similar thing to me, cataloging apples um, with a photo and a description. So um, we were invited to speak about basically what was called malice storytelling. So about educating M-A-L-U-S. people about apples. Yeah. Yeah. Um, wait. So basically methods of, of, of telling stories about these apples, um, are medium is Instagram and photography, um, and educating people and getting people excited about the diversity that's, um, in the malice species. Paige at your shop, is, is there an interest in, in single variety ciders or is it something that you, you talk about? to your customers? Yeah, absolutely. Um, it started off with Northern Spy, which I think is probably the most common single variety cider, at least around this area. And we've had several on tap, including Elizabeth Ryan from Hudson Valley Farmhouse, as well as Kite and String. And we try to actually run those two on tap because they're very different flavors from each other to kind of explain to a customer what goes into being a single variety cider and also how they can actually differ even though they are the same technically the same apple great and ron uh is there a single variety that that inspires you or tell us a little bit more what you're doing in connecticut i really like the redfield apple and that's actually the cider we just poured kind of carries some of the color of the red fleshed apple and i think Gidon brought some of these apples so these apples are red fleshed if you haven't seen that when you bite into it the flesh it's not a white apple it's it's like a pink red it's like a pink rainbow so that, that first cider was that yeah. from spoken spot no so this is a uh, homebrew friend of mine al this actually meddled at Glencap, so it's an award-winning single variety redfield cider what? redfield and who wants to talk about redfield so uh william i saw on palm queen on instagram that you actually had a redfield just just the other yeah, day yeah yeah uh i was i've been lucky enough to visit uh Eden's Orchard twice now. Uh, this year was really, really amazing, and uh, we got some red fields, and um, I photographed them. Yeah, uh, red field is actually what is a hybrid. So of it's two, yeah, two it's, apples? it's uh, West Ghana. I'm probably not pronouncing that right, but that's uh, that's like the mother of all red fleshed apples, um, or most of them from Kazakhstan, and from right? Kazakhstan, uh, Uzbekistan, Kyrgyzstan area, and. Um, 
the other one is Wolf River, which is a big, hefty apple that I think is native to Wisconsin, if I'm not mistaken. Um, and it's mostly like a cooking apple, but also really tasty. And, um, and Redfield, I think, as we'll see uh, shortly, I think uh, Petra with Pizza Pies is bringing an example of a single bridal Redfield pie, but it's really known as a cooking pie, partially because it's a very tart apple. So, so the Redfield cider, it comes out like a rosé cider? Yeah, it's yeah. got a natural yeah. color, and it ferments out, and it... That's what it looks like. It's yeah, I first had it from West County <coughs> yeah, Cider yeah. in Massachusetts. Yeah, I, think yeah, I was just going to say, Cider Days is, is coming up um, the first week in November. And for people interested in learning more about cider, I think that's the preeminent event in the so United Mass- States. Franklin County yeah, Cider Franklin Days. County, I, and the Redfield is um, widely planted there, so yeah. it's, and it's I, all over. I think, in Tyler's point, even beyond that, that I really be- I believe that the the couple that started Redfield, that started uh, West County Cider, actually went to visit the USC orchards, found Redfield, brought it back, got signed what, and the reason it was propagated was from them. So that not uh-huh. only is... So that, that's in, in, in Genesee, New York? No, it's in Geneva. Geneva, Geneva New York. So that's like what, one of the uh, it's a, top well, cider by, places by the USDA, in America. Run by the USDA. Anybody can apply twice a year to get signed wood from them, which is what you need signed wood in order to graft trees. And twice a year you can fill applications, get free signed wood. Um, and it's just an incredible exper- uh, orchard, which is an incredible variety of apples. So, yeah, it's it's really overwhelming. I've been twice now this year, and the first time it's kind of like basically standing in it and trying to walk down all the different rows of apples, uh, which you'll probably do like seven miles by the end of the day. Is like sort of akin to the way you think about the universe, how it's never ending. It kind of like overwhelms you and you feel paralyzed. When I was trying to find in, um, cultivars to photograph, that's like I sort of like stopped in the middle and was like, "Wow, I could never possibly uh, scale this whole thing properly." Looking at each thing, tasting each one, and like really taking it, and it's like a very, very overwhelming place. And I think just one more note about that is I think that the, re- the point of the USC orchards is that these genetics would not be lost, and if apples are not propagate, uh, propagated from generation to generation, they are lost. So in that area, you also have a Kazakh section. Uh, with apples from Kazakhstan. I think a lot of it's been cut down, but they really have the intent of having as most diverse selection of apples as possible. It's really, so. Great. And Tyler, um, you know, you're a big impetus for this. So you're making, are these are sample ciders you're making with some of Gidon's single variety apples? Or are you um, selling these now? I'm not selling for them. King, if I King's could, Highway Cider, upstate. Yeah, if I could get more of this apple, the Wixen, that this batch fermented out to 11.5%, I would uh, do it every year. Um, and, you know, kind of what I see in 10 years from now is that you're going to go to cideries upstate and they're going to have, the you know, the 2025, you know, Wixen, the 26, the 27. And, you know, bottles aren't really a thing right now. They move very slow in the marketplace. But I think um, cans are going to be kind of the transition to get us back to bottles in like a decade as we start. You know, one of the interesting things, we just had the Redfield. It was uh, room temperature. It tastes great. Uh, we're going to have a Kingston Black at room temperature. We're going to have the Wixen at room temperature. And you're going to see that all of these ciders, you know, have their own character and they all taste taste best at room temperature. And I think as this as the cider drinker gets more educated, that's going to be the future of the Hudson Valley. I think also um, we're going to discover a lot of apple varietals that people don't that that are living in the Hudson Valley right now, but that haven't been identified. Um, this spring, John Bunker, who's you know one of the most famous um, 
Apple historians in the country, uh, I was fortunate that he came and visited me and I took him to a couple trees that uh, were saplings and some may have been in old orchards. And he was telling me, because I had planted some European varietals and he's like, this is stupid. Don't, don't plant this here. You already have the apple trees that are growing, that are doing well. You need to identify these. Send me the scion wood. We'll develop these. These will be your orchard. You can name all of these apple trees. And it was like really interesting hanging out with him and listening to him talk about uh, all of these apples that already exist that, that we haven't identified. But I've put them into carboys as single varietals. And I'm like, wow, this is an amazing cider on its own. So I think that's kind of where the future is headed a decade from now. John Bunker, Fedco trees, right up in uh, yep. in Maine. Um, Paige, you know what are our customers asking about things like? I know that you can't vintage date a bottle of cider, but you can all you can put the the year that the it was harvested. Yeah, actually, it's funny. I had a, a customer that came in a day or two ago, and I had some of um, Eve cidery um, autumn's uh, gold. And it was 2015 vintage. And he was like, wow, you have some 2015. I'm like, yeah, no, I have it properly stored. And it's like ciders can age. And, and that customer was sophisticated enough to understand who Autumn is, what she produces, and um, that that cider can age. So that's uh, people are starting to understand that, I think. And it's, it's slow, but I think people are starting to understand that and, and start to look for it. And as a, as a wine shop, how do you, what's your approach to selling cider that's different from like a bar or a grocery store because it is as an overlap well yeah um you know a lot of people come in to my well first of all because i have such a large collection at this point two and a half years in we do have people that come in and actually ask me for cider directly um you know we, we, we just have cider customers so i am blessed with that and that's that's awesome but we do have wine customers that come in and are cider curious i guess is the way you could put that um and explaining to them you know, it's starting from the beginning, and it's something that I think a lot of the cider makers have to deal with. It's, is it cider beer? No, it has nothing to do with beer. It's actually closer to wine. It's not brewed. You know, you have to explain all of these things um, to the customer because they really don't know and they have no resource to understand unless they happen to come into your cidery. So um, we offer a, a place where a wine person can come in and actually learn a little bit about cider and how it can be used in place of um, wines in a lot of respects. Great. Um, Gideon, one of the questions you had uh, before the show, you wanted to ask both Ron and Tyler uh, that they've found orchards that are no longer in commercial production, um, but you, you found them full of interesting heirloom apples. Um, who wants to talk about more about that? You, you started that, Tyler, but... Well, I can tell you about a crazy conversation I had with John Bunker, and he said, you know, there's orchards all around you right now. You just can't see them. So what he did in Maine is he um, went and found the, it was like the agricultural department or something, In it was the, you know, Google Maps of the, of the 40s or 50s when they first started taking photos with airplanes. And um, he started identifying where all the orchards were in the old photos. And then he would just go hiking through the forest, and he would find the orchards, and then he would find the apples. Then he would go to the state fair and go through their records and see which was the most popular apple in the years that these photos were taken. And he started finding apples that were lost to history. And he was like, you can do that in Dutchess County. You know, Dutchess County Fair is like <coughs> 178 years old or something like that. Um, 
I don't have a lot of time to do that right now, but it's definitely something that I'm interested in. And, um, you know, t talking to, to John Bunker is just, if anyone ever gets a chance, it's an experience. I, I would say one thing also, Tyler, Tyler's close to where my orchard is, and that part of Dutchess and Columbia County is not really known as an apple-growing region. It was more historically a dairy region. But despite that, it's amazing how many orchards are kind of hidden away or how many seedling out, out trees you will find so really, throughout. So. And he told me a cool trick, too, um, because I find myself in these orchards a lot, or I think they are. I can't tell if they're wild saplings. So basically what you do is you just walk around for 20 minutes and count your paces because some of the trees are going to have died. But after 20 minutes, if you find this was 15 paces, that was 15 paces, then all of a sudden, yes, you're, you're in an old uh, ancient orchard. And I, actually, I believe he just came out, John Bunker just came out the book specifically in the subject of how to identify um, seedling trees, seedling apples, how to hunt for, tree, for apples. So. Paige, you were just nodding your head. What did you want to say? <laughs> I just it, that just makes so much sense. I it, that's pretty awesome. Yeah, I mean, and Ron, in Connecticut, are, are there a lot of wild apple trees around, uh, or you're not? Not so much wild, but it's homesteads that people have moved on, and the new people don't know what's there, and then you know, just connecting with different people, finding apples in their backyards. They have no idea what they are, like the ones I brought today, just gigantic. So, so you brought a number of apples from? <clears throat> yeah, these are all Litchfield County. Um, forage but from people's yards they you know trees that they don't maintain it's just kind of the trees in their backyard all right who wants to tell me about another uh, apple variety that is dear to them that makes great cider uh, i think a couple interesting apple varieties here on the table one is the virginia crab which was thomas Jeff jefferson's favorite apple for making cider and also the apple from newark new jersey the harrison which is an apple that's believed to be lost to um, cultivation, but was rediscovered by an apple hunter, I believe, in 1987. But it points to one, <clears throat> the days of our, our society being a grayer nation, uh, the apples growing in this country really were a point of national pride. And before 1850, cider was the most popular drink, alcoholic drink in our country. And both those apples point to the fact that our founding fathers were planting these apples and making cider. Um, they would just have such an incredibly rich history of, of apple production in this country. Wasn't Harrison known as the Champagne of the Americas yeah. or something? Yeah, it was known as the Champagne of Ciders, from, from, once again, from Newark. From, and yeah, the highest quality of yeah. ciders was were made in Newark. It was highly desired in Europe. And just to say this, and Tyler is an amazing cider maker. I have plenty of Harrisons on the trees this year, and I'd be more than happy to give him those apples this year. I'm in. So, so I, Before the show, I was reading Rowan Jacobson's book about cider apples. Said that Harrison is uh, actually been growing more in Virginia, Albemarle, and Diane Flint was, yeah. was growing was growing uh, them as Chuck well. Chuck Sheldon has an amazing collection. Albemarle is one of the really special uh, cideries orchards in the country, and has an amazing collection of apples there. He's also been very uh, the forefront of educating people about grafting. Um, and just educate people in general about orcharding in general. So, so really a number of years ago, we did a show just on Black Kingston. That was the first yeah. time I had yeah. a, a tasting and a show just about a single variety of, of apples. Um, do you think the public's going to be able to understand the difference between these different apples, or, or are, they, are they so much alike? I mean, do you think there is a future for single varieties, Paige? Come on, Paige. Yeah, seriously. Um, no, uh, I think I think that customers can absolutely understand the difference but I mean there's a huge difference between Wixen and Ashmead's kernel like it just you you just you pick it up in fact you know I don't make cider but having tasted so many over the last two and a half years I can now kind of tell if there's a certain varietal in 
like I can't tell you everything that's in it, but I can be like, hey, that's got Ashmees, or hey, that's got some Wicks in, or hey, that's got a Sopus Spitzenberg in there. Like, you can pick it up, and I and I can't, and I'm not a Psalm or anything else like that. Like I'm just a regular person. I think other people can do the same thing. I think they're really interested in it um, I, because they want to know what they're drinking and they are trying to relate it to something they understand and, and wine is one thing they do understand. So you usually get like Chardonnay or Pinot Grigio or whatever single varietal. So they're starting to understand that there's single varietals of cider or blends of cider. They're starting to understand that difference and they're starting to ask questions, at least in my shop. So that's a good sign because that means there's interest and there's a lot of growth available in this field. Well, single varieties are sexy. I mean, what did you just pour for us, Ron? Uh, that was my Kingston Black. It was a Glencap Best in Class winner this year. Congratulations. It's just, uh, so it's a Spoken Spy? or is it Spoken just your... Spy, yep. Yeah, so, so, so how are you integrating? Tell us about the first question was about the apples, where you're sourcing them. Yeah. Tell I, us what you're doing I at Spoken Spy. I mostly buy juice. I, don't, I have a couple trees, but I don't really make juice from those. But I've started crushing apples and pressing apples recently. With these foraged fruits that people and so for are bringing the, the, to me. where'd you get the kinks and black? Uh, just local orchards, connecting with people, people who have one tree. So I mean, I think that batch was ten gallons. So that's and, nice. And uh, kinks and black is said to have the optimal level of acid, tannins, and sugar to make the perfect single varietal. So yeah, I would say one thing um, that shouldn't be lost is that not all apples make a good single varietal. There's an apple on the table that is a small. Uh, orange crab apple that reminds me of what is that the golden hornet that you have on yeah, your yeah, orchard yeah. and i made a single varietal out of that and it is undrinkable <laughs> it is very clean but it has so much acid yeah. and so much tannin that it will just it's like putting 20 tea bags in your mouth and it's actually unedible as well so which is like, yeah it's so it does carly. but it would be great in a blend yeah. you know and when you think about these orchards or wineries from you know vineyards from hundreds of years ago, people were planting different varietals because who knows what the weather's going to do this year? You know, typically you're going to you know blend these things together. But then as the wine industry took off, then we're talking about different you know grapes, and then it just becomes sexy. It becomes fun. You know, the Kingston Black. Oh my God, I had this one Kingston Black that so and so made, and I think you know definitely. There's enough difference in some of these amazing apples that it's, you know, it's not rocket science for the consumer to figure it out. And it's just like a graduated version of some of these, you know, fruited raspberry and blueberry ciders. You know, there's there's room for all of it in the category. Quick, uh, what's the next cider that we uh, have? So I actually have a single varietal series. One is the Macintosh, which won a gold medal at Glenclap this year. That is a Fuji cider, which uh, we actually export to Japan. And... Over half the apples grown in Japan are Fuji's, an apple that originates from. from you export Japan. the cider to Japan. Yeah, and they're congratulations, very, man. Yeah, what can I say? Man? I'm just trying to be me, you know. Um, but uh, it's sort of uh, interesting. Even this apple, which honestly wouldn't be cons- considered a great quality cider apple, can still make an interesting cider. And you just see once again the the range of what cider can be is so extraordinary. And when you start talking apple, you really get onto that subject. This is how great apples could be. We're going to take a short break, guys. We'll be back in a minute on Beer Sessions Radio. All right. This episode is brought to you by Friends of Firefighters, serving the FDNY community since 2001. 
Friends of Firefighters is a 501c3 nonprofit organization dedicated to providing free, independent, and confidential mental health counseling and wellness services to active and retired FDNY firefighters and their family members. Friends of Firefighters was born within days of September 11, 2001, through the performance of several unobtrusive acts of kindness offered by the local community. Over the past 18 years, Friends of Firefighters has expanded to meet the growing needs of the FDNY community. Today, the organization provides a safe haven in an old restored firehouse in Red Hook, Brooklyn, where New York City firefighters, active and retired, can relax, meet with their peers, receive counseling with no stigma attached, exchange information, and access an array of services specific to their needs. To learn more and find out how you can get involved, go to friendsoffirefighters.com. It's October 2019. We're talking about cider, orchard, single varieties. And the, we've all been waiting for this. Um, at the last couple of Cider Feast events, our favorite baker, Petra from Petey's Pies, has been making single variety apple pies. And she just came in with some. Petra, welcome to the show. Thank you. Now, Gideon was so proud that he, he uh, got you on the show. We've been waiting because it's, it's um, Yom Kippur, and he only has like another 45 minutes before he can eat. <laughs> so um, we're going to eat some apple pies. But uh, tell us about your interest in making single-variety apple pies. You've really been a pioneer. I know you're really interested in what happens in Cider Week. <laughs> yeah, you are. Yeah. And you make good pies. Yeah, yeah, I'm a pioneer for sure. Um, <laughs> yeah, no, um, I think that just once you learn a little bit about apples, it's really hard not to just be super into it and um, and to be really into the different textures and flavors and um, and uh, even though you don't see them in the pies, just the various ways that they can look. Um, so it's it's really cool when you can like meet somebody like Yidan and see that they're growing like 150 <laughs> types of apples and and be able to actually visit an orchard and try all of these and experiment with are, them. Are you so, are you making these pies for regular sale or yeah. just for special? We occasions? only do this in the fall. We only do this in the fall because that's when we can get all of these things fresh. Because um, you know people know that they can market certain varietals, but not all of them. Um, uh, and there's such a wide variety that people can actually, uh, you know, taste and eat, but not so much that people can sell. <laughs> so, what are some of the varieties that you like making right. pies so with the best? These are all apples that we picked on Saturday uh, at Gideon's Orchard. So you, you went to, and what is it called? Is it Original Sin uh, no, Cider Orchard? Uh, it's a sort of a separate entity, uh, calling it the Hudson Valley Apple Project. So, okay. Yeah. So you, you you love people like Tyler goes there and. Get some apples. Petra comes and gets apples for cooking. Everyone is welcome. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And so, do you know? Do you know what the varieties are? You just have a, a grab have, bag of. I have a bunch here. Oh I mean, God. we got just like sixteen the other day yeah. at your orchard, but um, we got just a couple of the red varietals. And what what's really fun about those is that you it's really hard to separate and differentiate color and flavor. So, like, when you slice into a pie and you expect it to just look like an apple pie and then it's bright red, it sort of messes with your head a little bit. It's really hard to, like, um, make it not taste like something red in your mouth. If you're just, like, looking... If you were doing a blind taste test, it would be different. But if you're looking at it and tasting it, it's like um, you taste like red fruit. It's really when you wild. cut apples, do you have a secret so that they don't turn brown? Oh, I, I, I put them directly into, like, a solution of uh, water with lemon and salt. 
Yeah. And when did you start making pies? Uh, when I was little. My, my, my parents make pies, and they still do. In, they don't, in Virginia. In Virginia. Yeah. They don't know how to quit. They will never. They will probably die <laughs> making pies. Well, we, we love Petey's Pies, and you're on Houston <laughs> yeah. Street, right, in Manhattan. We're on Delancey. Delancey, Everybody thinks it's Houston, but it's on Delancey. Yeah, and we're um, in Clinton Hill in Brooklyn, too. So, yeah. That's great. Um, this is exciting, Keaton. I mean, you've, you've got a little bit of... I mean, I... I I want you guys to talk more about the apples that, that, that you like. How about that? But I just want to say, the question was out there, is the consumer going to be interested in single varietal right. ciders? Well, they're interested in single varietal <laughs> pies. I, 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 yeah. I mean, it just speaks to how cool it is to I have all these a, a really endless varieties. There's an incredible important point of that, is that I think yeah, at last year's CiderCon, there was a expert on social media who claimed that there was no interest in single varietal based on his analysis of social media. The issue is the public doesn't know enough about apples to know that they would appreciate single varietals. So you start telling them story and start showing them diversity, they get really into it. So well, That's yeah. absolutely true, yeah. by the way. So, yeah. yeah. I would say there's definitely interest. People just don't know. I mean, apples are incredibly visual and they're really delicious. And like you can eat them for snacks. You can make pies from them. You can drink them um everyone has a connection to an apple in some way people grow up eating them and they eat them throughout their lives in different ways i'll tell you so Petra, when i was a kid i grew up in new england yeah. there weren't as many choices of apples but i knew that when my mother made apple pie out of macintosh it was mushy so i I, right. I told her to make it with granny smith that was way back then wait you were how old and you told your mom to make it <laughs> i was precocious smith. i was like five <laughs> I also told my parents where to go, go city, out right? to eat and everything. But. You grew up in the city, right? I grew up in Massachusetts. Okay, that's just like But, um, but um, well, I love my pies. Um, I'll also add that the people who are most interested in single varietal ciders are the people who've been drinking cider the longest. They start out with sweet. They graduate to drier ciders. And uh, it's the more educated cider drinker who, you know, goes crazy over a Kingston Black or a Wixen. Like we're I guess we're going to eat pies. Page. You know, no, that's 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 true. Um, for the most part, I would say that most people start with the blended ciders and that are sweeter. But just like everything else, and I say this all the time in the shop, when you're five years old, you go crazy for pixie sticks and you can't get them, right? Because mom and dad like make sure you can, don't have too many pixie sticks. And then when you get like 25, you can go buy as many pixie sticks as you want, but you're not running out to the candy store looking for pixie sticks. You know what I mean? Like your taste buds have changed. And it happens with wine and it happens with food and it certainly happens with cider as well. So I think that... Um, I, I, I think that uh, people will, once they've gotten through some of the blended stuff, will then kind of have a little bit more of a vested interest in some of the single varietals. Well, thank you, Petra. So you, you actually were making the pies just for wow, the show? Hot. Yeah, I made the pies just, this, so yeah, Whoa. this is hot. I'm sorry if it's too hot. No, it's delicious. This is the Pitmeston pineapple. I had never tried this apple, and it really has a tropical flavor. It's tiny. It's a pain in the butt to peel. <laughs> it's a pain in the butt to peel so many of them because they're about, what, a quarter yeah. of the size of yeah, the normal apple? Here, so yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah, you got one. Yeah. yeah. Um, but, uh, yeah, they have that yellow peel, and then they have a kind of yellowish flesh, slightly softer. Um, What's your and, secret and the, crust recipe? Oh, my God, so much butter. <laughs> it's just a lot of butter. I just, like, took I, I took my dad's crust recipe, which is, like, a butter crust uh, uh, pastry recipe, and then I... Um, and then I 
just like increased the butter <laughs> ratio and uh and i use really good butter from upstate i use ronnie broker crime milk from upstate that's great yeah, i'm gonna ask really about good. a couple <laughs> more uh cider varieties okay if i say uh ash mead kernel who has a reaction Um, Well, actually, Petra might have a reaction, too, Um, and so can Tyler and Ron and everybody else in this room. But uh, it said that in blind taste tests, it's an English apple that in blind taste tests ranks as the top eating apple in the world. But it is a dual-purpose apple, which is known great for cider and probably really good for for making pies as well. And the great thing about uh, Petra is that I cannot cook at all, but the fact that she actually made a Redfield and a Pinmassin pineapple and... Aspects kernel. Yeah. It was really a, t- a test to see how apple these apples would hold up, and I'm shocked at how amazing this really pineapple is. Yeah. Um, so Tyler. Yeah. yeah, I wanted to um, Gidon knows you can pretty much ask him about any apple, so I'm going to ask him about the Wixen and the history yeah. of it. Yeah. When Wixen, it was discovered, okay. what it is. Uh, the Wixen. William could talk about this as well. The Which Wixen is right from now. Albert Eder. From uh, he's a very famous early geneticist in California who also developed the Pink Pearl, and it's an apple which once again. Is a small crab apple, but it will um, ferment. Uh, it, it is very high in sugar, and also very high in acid. And Tyler, I have this. This is really a phenomenal cider that Tyler makes out of it. So Tyler, you you got Wixens from Gidon's Orchard, from Gidon. and, and, um, and it's King's it, Highway cider. But this is just experimental. It's just for you guys. Thank you. It's um. It almost has like a burnt. Uh, Jolly Rancher caramel taste. It's very hard to describe because you're still getting the alcohol. Or I mean, sorry, you're still getting the apple, but you're getting this high alcohol at 11 and a half, but you don't, it's not like a hot alcohol. And um, I mean, I could, if I only had to, uh, one thing to drink for the rest of my life, I would be definitely okay with this. Okay. And William Wixon. Yeah, yeah. So Albert Eder was this amazing fruit breeder, uh, I guess breeder, I don't know if that's the right term, uh, out of California. There's a town named after him now called Edersburg. I mean, that's how influential he was. I think he also worked with strawberries, I recall reading. Um, So, yeah, super influential dude and made uh, Wixen, Pink Pearl, which is probably the most popular and readily available, um, like, pigmented flesh apple. The color's pink. Um, It's an early season cultivar. But he also... um, brought a bunch of other apples that would probably be great with for cider eating and cooking as well um like close to 10 or so which are yeah. also red fleshed or pink fleshed in some way but also good eating apples and actually green mountain nursery a fellow bought his land and it's called you can look on the web at green mountain nursery and you're able to buy cyanide wood from albert Edward's original apples and is that in vermont it's in california california yeah. humboldt county i humboldt think county. it's in yeah i want to ron so you, 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 you're part of the, you'll be at Franklin County Cider mm-hmm. Days. That's coming up right at the beginning of November. It is one of the cider happenings that I've always wanted to go to. Um, tell us a little bit more about that, because I think that that ties all together what we're talking about. Well, it's a weekend of uh, experiences in orchards, tasting. This is like orchards, tastings, yep. c- cider makers. Yep. Right. It's you not an indoor pressing. conference. It's like no. a trip back in time. Yeah, and it's not like it's a you country can, tasting thing. It's not like you can take a bus from one to the other. They're miles apart. They're huge orchards, small orchards. Just so like spread out over the whole county. So it's like what north of Northampton, Mass. Yep, that just area. straight up on the way to Vermont. Um, and the people a, there have been making cider for generations. You yep. show up and guys have their trunks open and they're pouring stuff out of kegs. And so like home some cider of it's makers. not that good. A lot of it is amazing. But yeah, I mean, it's it's definitely by far. 
Bearing on the best cider event in the so United what, what, States. So at an event like that, what type of workshops or panels are there about single variety apples? There are always talks on Sunday. There are like ticketed events with tastings. I think last year was, weren't you involved in one? Or? No, was we that? did a talk about award-winning ciders. Then I think there, there was a tasting. Golden Russets Dan, maybe um, with Dan Pucci? I think it was Northern Spy. Okay. But yeah, they talked through, I think, I don't know, seven different Northern Spies. Yeah. The ticket's $20, and these guys are telling you all about Northern Spy for an hour. It's amazing. Mm-hmm. Get it? Uh, well, I just want to talk about Ron and what Tyler was talking for a second. Um, in Connecticut, Connecticut does have a crazy history for apple growing. Uh, one being that the original Northern Spy tree, even though it's from East Bloomfield, New York, it's from a family that moved from Connecticut to East Bloomfield. East Bloomfield. So the seeds are said to originate from Connecticut. Yep. And also the very first nursery in our country originates from Connecticut. It was said that the guy sold uh, apple nursery stock for a couple of years and gave up his business because he was so interested in making hard cider. And if you look at the Connecticut Historical Society now, they have the original journal for the first uh, nursery in our country from Connecticut. So oh, the history cool. of what uh, uh, Ron is getting for his apples is really quite extraordinary. So. Cool. And Ron, you've started the help start the Connecticut Cider yeah, Association. Yeah, we have a Connecticut Cider Association. We're we have an upcoming Cider Week in November. We're going to have the uh, Connecticut's first Cider Festival in November. So there's a lot going on in Connecticut with Cider. I also wanted oh. to ask Ron a question. Okay. Um, I've heard amazing things about your cidery there. There's always new uh, flavors going in there yep. and everything like that. And I haven't sp- I haven't seen you in like a year, and I just want to hear what's going on there. Uh, just very busy making cider. And but I'm, I mean for guests and stuff, because it's we not have a that tasting far room. From, the, from the city. Yeah, so we're, we're very tasting room focused. We distribute in Connecticut only. So. Middle, Middletown, Connecticut, Middletown. near Wesleyan. Yep. Spoken Spy, and the spy is from but the also, Northern Patrick, Spy. Patrick, you, we're all eating your pie, and I can't this stop. This is so delicious. And, and it's <laughs> eating. This is, the, this is the Redfield. It looks I wouldn't get to the Redfield yeah. yet. Yeah. And can you, taste, can you taste the difference oh, absolutely. between tart. the different apples? Yeah, yeah I, feel like you can ta- I mean, the acidity, the acidity really comes out in the Redfield, but I'm just like, I wonder what it would be like. I haven't done this where I've done like a blind taste test where I'm like trying to um, try these different pies and like separate the, the appearance of the pink and the red apples. I'll tell you what, we'll do a game. Yeah. You just tell me how to time which one's which yeah. and I'll pick out the apples. <laughs> I'll amaze everybody. I'll tell you, I'll tell you ahead of time. I don't know if anyway. So, so again, on a, a bigger picture, so I, I want to talk about you and give you a lot of credit. I mean, you're one of the first, I think probably the first commercial ciders that I ever tasted in the restaurant industry. You, you probably brought to me in 2000, 2001 in New York City. I'm, I'm very impressed that the way you've grown. I mean, you're distributed internationally. Did you pick him up when you first <laughs> met him? Well, <laughs> we, we go way back. But I wanted, what was the impetus for you to, to start this orchard? And when did you do that? Because that's really the story of the show. Uh, you know, I mean, first, it's not in that I think everybody in this room is really the vanguard of educating people on just the depth of what cider and apples can, culture can be. Uh, from a culinary point of view, from a cider point of view, it's really quite extraordinary. And I really think even as big as the cider industry is, I think that point can be hit home a lot harder than it has been hit home. So, But you want uh, to tell me more about your orchard? The orchard, you know, I just sort of, I, you know, I think probably similar to Will. Like I, Is it Dutchess County or uh, Columbia it's, County? It's Columbia County, and I, 
you know, had the fortune of seeing the varieties that are out there. It's I was taking trips to USC Orchard. I was so like it was it, it, like the fact that I had to go up to Geneva, New York every year in order to taste these crazy varieties was sort of challenging. And I my family had a dairy farm <coughs> land and I had the opportunity to plant trees. And it's been a magical experience in terms of planting. The great thing about the cider industry is you're not, you don't have, only have cider makers, but you have orchardists as well. And when you go to CiderCon, at least a very significant part of the people are orchardists. And it makes, I think it makes what the cider industry much more depth than any other crap uh, industry. And that there's such an agricultural element to it. So. And I would say, I think there was a controversial question to lead off this podcast. About and I don't think... Well, I mean, I don't ask the brewers if they grow their, you know, barley or their hops or, I mean, it's speaking to what Guidon's saying is it's, a, orcharding is a completely different business than fermenting apple juice. I mean, it is a complex industry and for one person or one company to control all of those inputs, I think is asking a lot. William? Uh, yeah, I kind of, so actually I work in chocolate. That's my full-time occupation. And we rocket chocolate, right? Yeah, yeah. rocket chocolate. Um, we're based in Red Hook and we make single origin bars without roasting. And we experience a lot of similar, like to that point in the question of, do you, um, you know, grow your own apples, press your own apples. Uh, you know, the difference between someone who makes chocolate from bean versus a chocolatier who gets a blend from, um, maybe Barry Calibo or, or one of the bigger chocolate manufacturers, there is kind of this tension and snobbery when ultimately like what we're all trying to do is make a high quality product for people. Well, not product, but something really interesting and delicious for people to eat and celebrate a thing and introduce people to how, like how far you can go with something, how delicious cider can be, how amazing it can be. Same with chocolate. And yeah, the, the internal um, tensions can be really challenging to get over. I think it's important to just kind of look forward and be like, well, what are we all trying to do the same thing, basically, essentially? Well, just, I, we're going to wrap it up in a minute, but I just want to say that you know, Cider Week started in New York City in 2011, and we've come so far. You can go into a typical bar, or restaurant, and see on a, on a draft draft handles one one cider at least when there was never any cider. So for me, I, I see there's only a, a positive future for the hard cider industry. And Paige, you, you want to wrap it up because you're you're really there as a retailer. You know you are. So tell us, give us your your summation of where cider's going or what you want to see from it. Well, uh, cider's growing. Cider's growing very quickly. Um, we just did our two our first two day grand cider tasting, which we had to expand from one day to two days. Uh, this past weekend, we saw a record number of people in our store. So people are really excited about the space. Um, they want to see new and interesting things. They're looking for innovation. They're looking for things that are different. Um, they're not looking for what you can grab off the shelf at Walmart anymore. They're, they're looking for outside the box stuff. And I think there's a lot of that coming out and there just needs to be more spaces where consumers can get that. And Ron, it, it, so you've, you've opened up Spoken Spy in Middletown, Connecticut. <coughs> What's the tasting room like? What's the customer interaction? Are they buying pints? Are they doing flights? Yeah, we do, we do flights, a lot of flights, hundreds of, hundreds of flights a day. People want to try everything. The more ciders I put on, the more I can put 12 on, and they want flights of 12, which is great because it means they want to experience everything, discover what they like. Usually on our flights, half of it's dry, half of it isn't. So, it's so there's like, definitely room for single varieties so that yeah. you can have things to taste. I think right now we have two, or at least one single variety this week. Great. Anybody else? Tyler? 
I mean, you, to me, you're a leader of the industry. Are you on the board of the State Cider Association or anything like that? I'm on the marketing committee. Marketing committee. Yeah. And, um, and no, I don't think I have anything to add. I think every there's room in this category for everything. To me, single varietals are the most interesting as a drinker. I don't have a lot of access to them as a cider maker. Uh, last year, I had 6,000 gallons of Stamen wine sap, which was amazing. And then I learned that that uh, orchardist was cutting down all those trees because they don't have a place in the marketplace, you know, in the grocery store. So um, the more that we're talking about this, the more interest there is going to be in this, the more that we're educating the consumers. I want to say thanks for this having us. And I want to say cheers to your health. Thank you. And this is like, a, But this is like a heritage foods thing where we have to keep producing the product and, and, Talking and making about it, it and selling it. Otherwise, the trees will get cut down and other things will not be propagated, right? Um, I, I would add also that I think if in the macro picture, people get caught up in numbers and cider sales supposedly um, nationally are down a little bit, really influenced by the macros. But anyone who really understands the industry understands there are people like Tyler and Ron out there who are building legacies. It's really happening in the Finger Lakes, where we went to Finger Lakes Cider Week, that people are, that this industry is so phenomenal what is, is occurring within just a few years. And it's, it'd be interesting to see what it And Patra, anything you want to say about these apple growers or Oh, I'm just so sad to hear apples. about the steam and wine stuff. That's my favorite pie apple. They're such it's great amazing. keepers and they're, they're so tasty in a pie. They're just The name of it's apples. amazing too because it's like an 1800s name where it, yeah. I, I, may, I may be making this up, but it, it tastes like how it sounds. Yeah. And I love that. Exactly. How many trees is this guy having to cut down? How many trees did he have? I don't know. I just know they're gone. And I yeah. won't have 6,000 gallons of steam and wine sap this fall. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, yeah, I could. The only reason I had them last year was because a storm came through and they all got dented up and they needed to get rid of them immediately. And then, boom, this year they're cut down. It's crazy because that's such a popular apple. You can find it like so readily at the supermarket to think that like consumers wouldn't want to buy that at a supermarket. It's, it's a very pretty right. apple It's because you well. have the Cosmic Crisp coming up. They're always inventing the new one that's firmer and stays longer in the grocery store that has a little bit better acid sugar balance. And it's more crispy. Yeah. yeah. Well, it's great having be. you guys on. Um, everybody just sit, say your name and where you're from. We're going to close it out. I'm Ron from Spoken Spy in Middletown, Connecticut. I'm Petra from PD's Pies in the Lower East Side in Brooklyn. Thanks for the pies, Petra. Kidon uh, Cole from Original Sign. Uh, I'm William Mullen of Palm Queen. Instagram. Instagram. Tyler from <laughs> King's Highway. And thank you for the pie. The pies yeah. were amazing. Pies there were so, so many pies. <laughs> Page from uh, Boutique Wine Spirits and Cider's official. Well, thanks everybody. Just so you know, Cider Week New York City is coming up in November, so keep checking it out, and we'll be uh, doing some events and everything in New York City. So, thanks for joining me, uh, Jimmy Carboni. Thanks to our producer uh, Dylan Hoyer and engineer Matt Patterson and intern Kevin B. I'm Jimmy Carboni. Thanks for joining me on the Heritage Radio Network. We'll see you next time on Beer Sessions Radio. All right, woo. Beer Sessions Radio is powered by Simplecast. Thanks for listening to Heritage Radio Network, food radio supported by you. For our freshest content, subscribe to our newsletter. Enter your email at the bottom of our website, heritageradionetwork.org. Connect with us on Instagram and Twitter at heritage underscore radio. You can also find us at facebook.com slash heritageradionetwork. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization driving conversations to make the world a better, fairer, more delicious place. And we couldn't do it without support from listeners like you. Want to be part of the food world's most innovative community? Subscribe to the shows you like. 
Tell your friends and please join the HRN family by becoming a member. Just click on the beating heart at the top right of our homepage. Thanks for listening.